There we go, 42. So that's John 10. Um, and for those using the um, uh, little John's Gospel booklets, it's page 31. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father, but which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that may you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Thanks so much for reading the passage for us. I've got a hand on the table, and I think on the chat and the email as well, so if you have that in front of you, that will help you to follow along. Well, we are on our last talk in the series, The Anatomy of Unbelief. And what we've done over the past few months is to take the concept of unbelief to explore it. Uh, why do people reject Jesus? Uh, why does unbelief happen? And the purpose of the series was to grow your confidence that despite all the rejection that's happening out there, uh, you can trust in Jesus. Because the reality is that we are in a post-Christian society. Uh, the Western world is more and more secular. We have experienced the age of scientific reasoning, which seeks to disregard Jesus. You have Dawkins, St. Harris, uh, the guys who champion uh, their belief system to disregard Jesus. And then we are entering the age of wokeism and cancer culture. Uh, Christianity glibly passed off as a white man religion. Uh, biblical views on marriage, sexuality, and identity are cancelled. And also the slow decline of, if you like, the Church of England, the institutional church, conforming to the pressures of society, the institution that's meant to uphold the truth, but wants to be liked by the world. Unfortunately, the truth and being liked 
octonome go well together. And so as we understand why rejection happens, and why does the world reject Jesus? And this will help us to have confidence to keep sticking to him. Uh, will you cling to him when everyone wants him cancelled? Uh, will you stick to Jesus when all have fallen away? And really, that's John's purpose in his gospel, uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. I'm sure many of you will be familiar with his purpose, that you may believe that firstly, Jesus is the Christ, and secondly, he's the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But a unique way that John, he argues his case in 5 to 10 is with a trial or the law court. You have witnesses, testimony, a judge, a defense and prosecution. It's Jesus v. the Jews, his own people, those who were meant to accept him. And as readers, we see the arguments going back and forth between the Jews and Jesus, and we are there to decide who is right. And over the past few weeks, we've seen that the reason why the Jews reject him was firstly, they wanted a physical rescue. They wanted free lunch. They were concerned about the careers. They were concerned about their health problems, but they wanted nothing to do with God. Uh, chapter seven, uh, they're far from thinking clearly. They were irrational. Chapter eight, far from being the children of God, they were children of the devil. Chapter nine, far from seeing clearly, they were blind. And so if that's John's analysis on the Jews, God's people, that is his analysis on the world, irrational, blind, and in darkness. But also he makes a positive case, uh, five Jewish feasts, uh, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of them. Uh, the Sabbath, God's work in creation, he creates the world in seven days. And Jesus, on the Sabbath, chapter 5, chapter 9, he gives life to the invalid man. The Passover, uh, God's rescue from slavery. Jesus, he offers redemption. Then chapter 6, he is the Passover lamb. Chapter 7 and 8, the Feast of Booths, as God leads the people through the wilderness to the promised land. What does Jesus say? I am the light, uh, if you like, the pillar of fire of the world the one who leads people to the rest. And if that's true for them, it's true for us today. And then we come to our passage today, the Feast of Dedication. Uh, it might be a strange one. I'm not sure many of us have heard about the Feast of Dedication before. So it happens in between the Old and New Testament. It's an intertestamental feast, I guess. What has happened is in 167 BC, the Greek king Antiochus of Epiphanes he desecrates the temple, he invades Jerusalem, and he sacrifices a pig on the altar. What happens? So obviously the Jews, they are up in arms. They rush back in, they defeat him, and then they rededicate the temple back to God. Uh, the altar back to the one true God. It's a dedication, a refocusing on God. And the big point of today's passage is that all of that focus of refocusing on God, well, it lands not on the altar, but on Jesus. I look at verse 36. He is the one who the Father consecrates. 
He's the one who is made sacred, not the altar, but Jesus. And so the main destination that we're going today is this, that all of God, all of him is found in Jesus. All of the Father converges on Christ. And so that is why we can stick when everyone has fallen away. Because there's nowhere else apart from Jesus will you find God at work. All of God is in Jesus. Well, we're following a handout. We are on our first point. And the reason is because he is the Christ. He is one with the Father. I look down to verse 24 of chapter 10. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Uh, do you see the issue? The question is, are you the Christ? Christ means anointed one, the Messiah, the King of Israel. Or the key metaphor for the Christ is the shepherd, the great king uh, who will lead his people. But you see, the Jews, they ask him that question. It's not because they are interested in his answer. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. You see, this is the third or fourth time of asking. Uh, John the Baptist testified that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus testified that he was the Christ. And the Jews here in chapter 10, uh, they are stuck on the same question. They don't want his answers. They want to hear what they want to hear. And so we think, if we think that cancer culture is a new phenomenon, it was right there in the first century. Uh, look down to verse 31. Uh, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You see, if you don't give him the answer, uh, don't, don't give them the answer that they want to hear, we will cancel you. But then this raises a question. Does the rejection of Jesus, does it prove that he isn't the Christ? Uh, his own people rejecting their Messiah. Does it prove that? Well, the answer is no. On the contrary, look at verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. You see, their rejection doesn't prove that he isn't the Christ. Uh, it just proves that they aren't his sheep. He is still the Christ despite their rejection. But for those who are his sheep, look down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Um, Usually when I try to do something brainless, I watch a couple of YouTube videos and I have once chanced across uh, really arm wrestling videos and really it's quite entertaining. Uh, you see two really big muscle bound men with biceps probably three times the size of mine and their arms locked together uh, with wrists pushing, gripping against one another, generating huge amounts of power uh, trying to beat the other person. And that's a bit like the picture here. Uh, arms of the father and the son locked together, pushing, generating huge amounts of force, not trying to beat one another, but trying to keep you safe. 
I and my father are one, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, Jesus, he's the Christ. Uh, he is the shepherd leading his sheep. And he is in unison with his father, united in will. If the son gives you life, the father gives you to his son, cupped in the hands and the palms of the eternal father and eternal son. No one will snatch you out of their hands. He will keep you safe. What a comfort. What an assurance. And that helps, right? As Western society shifts away from Jesus, that doesn't prove that he is not the Christ. It only proves that they are not his sheep. But for you, as you hear the voice of the shepherd and you listen to him and follow him, uh, he is one with his father and you will be kept safe. Jesus is the Christ and he will give you life. But there's an issue, uh, there's a blip. See, the, the Jews, do they have a fair argument against Jesus? Uh, his phrase, I am the Father, are one. It's a huge phrase. Um, some of you guys might know the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6, where the Jews would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Uh, the great proclamation of the one true God, the oneness of God, God's Israel's God. And so the question is, are the Jews right? Is Jesus in competition against God? Is he against scripture of the oneness of God? And here's the thing to realize, this is not a niche question on the divinity of Jesus. It's hugely significant for anyone who follows him. No oneness, no security. No oneness, no life. Are the Jews right? It's Jesus against the Jewish scriptures. And that's where we come to point number two. Jesus instead, he refutes them with scripture. Instead, he is the son of God. The father is in him and he is in the father. Look down to verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I say you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the son of God. Uh, these verses may seem a bit confusing, but it's really important. These are really important verses to understand the divinity of the son. Uh, the basic claim that Jesus is making is that my claim of oneness with God is not against scripture. You see the phrase that he quotes from Psalm 82, and it describes Israel or Israel's leaders in their responsibility to judge the world because they were the nation to receive God's law, God's word, and they were to share in God's act of judgment, doing what God was doing across the world. Uh, they were meant to share in the divine judgment of God. And so in a funny way, the psalmist describes um, Israel in their capacity of sharing God's judgment as gods uh, with a small g as they share in the divine role. Uh, but unfortunately, the psalm, Israel proves to promote injustice as opposed to righteousness. 
and it ends with God judging them for it. And the point that Jesus is saying that even in the Old Testament, there were categories to describe Israel as sharing in the divine role as they judged the world. And that is not in conflict with the oneness of God. Therefore, Jesus says, look at verse 36. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. And so it's not a stretch to recognize that the word sent by God, namely Jesus, as the son of God. The categories were already set up in the Old Testament. Jesus' oneness with the Father doesn't contradict Scripture. And here's a side application. Uh, There's no legitimate rejection of the divinity of the Son on the basis of Scripture. Uh, Judaism was wrong and is wrong now about Jesus. Mormonism and its rejection of the divinity of Jesus is wrong. Jehovah Witnesses and their rejection of the divinity of Jesus is wrong. And he is one with the Father. He is the Son of God. And his works, they back him up. Verse 37. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. What are the works that Jesus did? The two great divine works of God, giving life and giving judgment. The Genesis God, the God who gives life. The Exodus God, the God who judges. And Jesus, he does both. Life on the Sabbath, judgment, and blinds those who reject him. And so he does what God does, and therefore he can say, I and the Father are one. Not only in will, not only in word, but also in works and in essence. That's why he says that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So do you see what Jesus is saying? They celebrate the feast of dedication to refocus the energies on the person of God. He's saying that all of that, the focus, the consecration, the sacredness of God is found in Jesus. All of God is found in him. A great magnifying glass, imagine, focusing the glorious rays on the sun on a single spot. That is all of God's glory. His words, his work, his essence is focused on Jesus. So there's no understanding of God outside Jesus. There's no revelation of God outside Jesus. There's no way to God outside Jesus. If you want Jesus, you need to meet God. If you hear Jesus speak, you hear God speak. You can meditate your way to God without Jesus. You can't be truly spiritual without Jesus. You can't be truly religious without Jesus. If religion is all about being nice, decent, and moral, but no Jesus, it is as godless as the atheist on the street. You see, all of God is found in Jesus. So why will you stick when everyone has fallen away? Perhaps the question is, why wouldn't you stick? If you want life, if you want to stand on the judgment day, if you want to know your creator, then you must stick with Jesus. But the trouble is, God is not like a a desperate 
uh, girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, desperate for people to, to worship him. See, if rejection keeps happening, God, he will leave. He continues his work to those who want to listen. And thirdly, and more briefly on a final point, his work continues for those who will listen. Verse 40. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in there. See, as the Jews, they reject Jesus. He goes away in judgment, goes all around the world to those who will listen, even this northwestern island, northwest of Europe. Imagine many years ago, our ancestors, uh, people who were worshipping gods of wood, of thunder, or of stone, uh, have all turned to worship the one true God. But even as this nation starts to reject the one true God, uh, his rescuing work will move to those who will listen to him. Uh, many what you know, uh, vast numbers of people turning to Christ all around the world, in China, in Iran, in Nepal people who will listen to him. So the big thrust of today's talk is that all of Christ, sorry, all of God is found in Jesus. And the challenge is, will you stick with him? Or will you cling to him? Though all have fallen away. At the Rossi group, it's brilliant to see many of you guys come from the same company. And much of it has been because of Mark's um, encouragement and prayer uh, but I guess the challenge is if one day Mark if he goes away uh, will you stick or will you keep sticking to him uh, even if I fall away or your pastor falls away uh, will you stick to Jesus because it's not about me or Mark or your pastor it's all about him because all of God is found in Jesus but John's purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And I'm conscious that there may be some of us here who may have never recognized Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And I'm also conscious that there may be some of us here who have decided in the past, but have been drifting. Uh, the question is, will you put your trust in Jesus and follow him? Well, I'm going to say a prayer, and if you like, you can repeat after me. But a voice to encourage us as we close. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Father in heaven, I'm sorry for sinning against you. I'm sorry for rejecting your son. Please forgive me. I believe and trust that Jesus is your Christ and your son and that he offers life. Please help me now to live life with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.